Good morning. I want to say before we begin how much I appreciate what uh, Todd Dickerson did this morning, what so many do, and I say this on behalf of all of us who lead and serve in some more visible way. Certainly we want our prayers to always be expressed for every single person, however visible or not they may be in the life and the work of this church. Romans chapter 12 says that each and every one of us is important. I've got to tell you, it is a blessing always to hear your name or the work that you do prayed for. We appreciate that. We need that. When we think about all that God has done for and through this congregation, as we look back and as we look at the plans and the objectives that we have in the days and the months and the years to come, we need prayer. We need to pray for each other. And those of us who have been tasked with responsibilities to lead in some way, to serve, or to preach the Word. We're so grateful for that, and thank you. That is not a typo that you see on the screen in front of you. I know it's an unusual title, and it's not one that we often would think about would be spoken of in church, that a preacher would get up and preach on how not to follow Jesus. It seems more like, perhaps, a sermon that would be the title of the preaching of the Prince of the Power of the Air. And so even though it's hard to type that or to create that screen and to preach a lesson like that, so often all of us struggle with the practice. We find ourselves, more often than we want to admit, not following Jesus. Surely one of the most heartfelt expressions that has ever been said in heaven or on earth by God is, follow me. God wants nothing more because He knows the way that ends in life. He knows the way that is the truth. He knows the way that is the only legitimate way to go. And so He says, get behind me and where I'm going, if you follow me, it's going to be exactly and the only place that you want to go. You think about in Old Testament times, God laments the loss of an entire generation that he says was lost in part because they did not follow me fully. Numbers 32 and verse 11. In the New Testament, we come to read about the life of Jesus, the compassionate one. And as we read about his ministry, 19 times in the New Testament, in those four biographies, he says to people, follow me. Now it's remarkable when we think about the imperative, the the command that's given. It is one that is a call for commitment. But it is also one that has as the requirement of its keeping a reward at the end of it. When you think about this idea of following Jesus, where might we go to study about how not to follow Jesus? In the 66 books. I realized that not long ago in the Equip workshop, we drilled down and we looked at the book of James. But in the risk of redundancy, I'd like to go back to James because I believe that James exposes for us a pattern, a blueprint, that's often used by those who do not want to follow Jesus. And I think what he's doing there is he's exposing a reason and reasoning and rationale that's made by people who have made the decision not to follow him. Now, there's a remarkable thing we're going to find when we begin to study through and to see these ideas, these elements, this blueprint for not following Jesus. Not one of them 
is said by one who would be an uh, atheist, an agnostic, or a professed unbeliever. What's so remarkable is that each one of these rationales, these thoughts that are given, are said by one who, if asked, would say, yes, I believe in God. Now, I'm going to show this, but I, I want you to see that the thing that all six of these have in common is the originator, the author behind them is the devil. Now this is implied throughout the letter, but then James comes right out in James chapter 4 and verse 7 and he says this. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It is the devil who does not want us to follow Jesus. But the thing is, we all know that. We can go home and say, yep, I I understood that and I believe it and, and I know that it's true. And yet with the rationale there... It's traps that we often find ourselves falling into. We're going to remind ourselves that the book of James, on the whole, is not written primarily to one who is outside of Christ. There's application there, and some of the passages and the principles are those that those who are not yet in Christ need to hear. But the audience that James writes to are Christians. These are those who are in the body of Christ and yet may think this very way. So what are those six elements, those six six aspects of one who does not follow Jesus? Now when you think about the devil, he doesn't need us to succumb to all six of these. All he needs us to do is to succumb to one of them. So let's think about them. First of all, how not to follow Jesus. What you've got to do is to hear the word and not let it change you. Hear the word and don't let it change you. Did you know that there is a condition known as visual agnosia? And with visual agnosia, what happens is that somebody looks at something, but the brain's ability to process that is somehow disrupted. And if you go to WebMD or any one of the sites that mentions this, there are a lot of different types of visual agnosia. In one type of visual agnosia, a person will look at words, but they're not going to be able to read them. Now, they can write and they can speak, but when they see words, they have difficulty processing them. There's another form of visual agnosia in which an individual cannot read the nonverbal clues of other people, like body language. People may be showing them something very strongly, and a person looks at that and they can't interpret the cues. Like perhaps if you're right in somebody's face and somebody backs up and they come right there again, they may have visual agnosia and bad breath. But when you also think about uh, other forms of visual agnosia, there's another one. Kathy might say, I'm guilty of this. A form where a person cannot very well tell somebody directions. Or they can't process and to say exactly where they are. I mean, there's a variety of types of visual agnosia. But there's a more serious one. A more potentially dangerous one, and it's one that James diagnoses or shows for us. It's one that was read to us, as Todd read so well a moment ago, when he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer of it, he is like a person who looks at his face in a mirror, for he observes himself, And goes his way and immediately forgets what manner of person that he was. Now James is revealing for us a timeless condition that is a visual agnosia within. We have eyes to see, but we cannot see. You know, this is a 
condition that was first diagnosed by the prophets on various occasions in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, Isaiah and his great commission where he is called by God to be a prophet, he said, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who shall go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, See you indeed, but understand not. Hear you indeed, but perceive not. Make the hearts of this people heavy and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and convert and be healed. Isaiah 6, verse 8 through 10. And then Jeremiah comes along in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 15. And he talks about those individuals, that foolish and senseless people that he says, they have eyes but they cannot see. They have ears but they cannot hear. Ezekiel comes along in Ezekiel chapter 12 and verse 2. And he says, for this is a rebellious house having eyes to see but not seeing, having ears to hear but not hearing, for they are a rebellious house. You've heard that particular saying, that phrase, they have eyes to see, but they do not see. And the reason is because you have Jesus that comes along, and in Mark chapter 7 and other places, he looks back and he quotes various prophets that have said this, and then the apostle Paul comes along after him, and he uses this same particular idea. How tragic it would be If you think about what sense would you like or prefer to lose, the one we would least like like to lose in most cases is our seeing. But what James is talking about is one who sees, who hears, and yet does not change. Now in James chapter 1, verse 18 through 25, James talks about the attitude that we have towards something specific. And it's described for us in James 1 in three different ways. First of all, he calls it the word of truth in James chapter 1 and verse 18. That's its nature. That's what, what, when you look at it, that's what it leads to. It's what it is. You can trust it because it's right. But then he says it's the implanted word. You see, the word is a seed. Jesus is going to teach in Luke 8 verse 11 through 15. And what you do with a seed is you put it in the ground. And if it's the right kind of seed and the right kind of soil and the right kind of conditions, it's going to grow. James says the word of God is an implanted seed that if the soil is right, the seed is good and it's going to grow. And then in verse 22 he says it's simply the word. And he says what we've got to do to avoid this visual agnosia of seeing but not seeing and hearing and not hearing is we've got to have the right attitude toward the word. The right attitude toward the word's role. In verse 18, it is that which causes us to have a relationship with God. To have a right attitude toward its right. The word of God, because it comes from God, has the right to rule us. And then we've got to have a right attitude toward its reception. And the only thing that will keep us from receiving it as we should is holding on to pride and sin. And we've got to have a right attitude toward its responsibility. We're to be not just hearers, but doers. So when you think about the Word, the Word exists for us not just to read it and to acknowledge it, but to make it that which changes us. And the mirror illustration would say if you go to the mirror and you see the bushy eyebrows or you have the protruding nose hairs or the ear hairs or you find yourself with smudged makeup or if you have wild hairs out of place, you don't walk away from that without changing. Now James uses that because the devil doesn't 
think, especially in the body of Christ, that he is going to get very many people to deny that the word of God is from God and that the word of God is truth. But what we've got to understand is that he doesn't have to get us to disbelieve that this belongs to God. What he wants for us to do is to hear it and maybe even acknowledge it, but to go away from that not changed at all. Hey, come on to church every time the doors are open. And look, don't just hear it. Be even convicted that it's something that you need. That by hearing this word that you ought to be different. Let it disturb you. Let it bother you. But then walk away. And if you can just get away from that Bible class or that sermon or that Bible study and get on your own, just kind of settle back to where you were into the comfort of how things were before you heard that word or that message. I mean, if you want an example of this, just think about Felix. Felix is one of the officials that the Apostle Paul gets a chance to testify with regard to Christ. And you think about what Felix got to hear. In Acts chapter 24, as Paul reasoned of righteousness and of self-control and of the judgment to come. Now here's Felix, this man who's used to telling others what to do, who's used to having people under him, and he hears this authoritative message, and as he hears it, the Bible says that he trembles. But what does he do? He says, go away for now, and when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. But maybe what we think is, well, Felix has just got to let the word churn on him. He's going to hear it, he's going to process it, and ultimately it's going to change him. But... The Holy Spirit through Luke gives us the only picture we have of him after this lesson. In Acts chapter 24 and verse 26, he seems, after he's heard this powerful message, to still be more in love with gold than with God. And after this powerful sermon, he actually calls Paul into his presence several times. But for all the times that Paul comes into his presence, he never comes any closer to God. So here's the first way not to follow God. Hear the word. It's okay. Just don't let it change you. Be the same as you were before you heard it. Now James gives us a second way not to follow Jesus And that is to believe the word, but don't act on it. Hey, we've got to say that this has got to be moving in the right direction, right? Because this is more than simply hearing the word. Isn't it great? Isn't it better if we'll not just hear the word, but we'll believe that it's true? Go back to that uh, parable of the soils we mentioned a moment ago in Luke chapter 8 and verse 12, where Jesus begins to talk about the different dispositions of heart. He says there's one condition, there's one type of soil that we will call the wayside or the wayward soil. That is, it's just off to the side. And in that first condition of heart, what happens is, is that the seed is tossed. They hear the word, but Satan comes along and he steals it, lest they believe and are saved. You know, Satan knows that there is one whole category of person that he is going to get who even hears the word of God. Because if they hear and before they believe, they fall away, then they're not going to be in the kingdom of God eternally. But we've got to say, you know, if I believe, surely that's what God's got to be pleased with that. Apparently not by itself. In James chapter 2, verse 14 through 26, he talks about faith and it's faith without works. And he tells us three things about it. He says that faith without works is dead, being alone. 
You know, he starts the discussion early on in verse 17 and he ends it in verse 26. He says, As the body without the spirit is dead, even so faith that does not have works is dead also. And a faith without works is also demonic. Sounds very strong, doesn't it? But what he's saying is the devils also believe and and tremble. And it's also dysfunctional because what he says is that this faith, the faith without works, is dead. It's useless. It doesn't do anyone any good. And so this applies in both directions. If I've not yet made the decision to submit my life to Christ, I can hear What the Bible says with regard to baptism for the remission of sins. I can see that it washes away my sins. Acts 22, 16. I can see that it puts me into Christ. Galatians 3, 27. Where all spiritual blessings are found. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. And I can see statements like 1 Peter 3 and verse 21 that says that baptism saves me. I can believe that. I can be convicted. You know, I can even tell others, that's what you need to do. But if I don't act on it, it hasn't done me any good. Or I can see what the Bible says about the one church. And I can see that one must be a member of the New Testament church and yet still not be a member of it. But I can also look and see what Scripture says with regard to any particular sin. And yet know what the Bible says about those who persist in that and who willfully do that and stay in that sin. I believe it. I know. And yet I'm not changing anything about it. I'm not acting on it. Or I can see what the Bible says about how God can forgive anyone despite their past and the power that that holds in it and yet not act on what I need to do in order to have my sins forgiven. You see, the devil's okay with us hearing and believing. Jesus mentions four types of heart. In Luke chapter 8, verse 11 through 15, he gets to the rocky soil and he gets to the thorny soil. And in those two types, we have folks who presumably believe, but in time of temptation, when things, the pressures of life get to them, they fall away. Or the cares and the riches of this world cause them to be unproductive. And so as we think about the fact that the devil's behind us not wanting to follow Jesus, he'll say, look, just hear it, but don't believe it. Or hear it and believe it, but ultimately don't do anything with it. Don't allow it to be shown in how your life is lived. That's how not to follow Jesus. There's a third way in which we, are not, uh, or we can find ourselves not following Jesus, and that's by burning the bridges of our influence. You know, James mentions this in James chapter 1, James 1 and verse 26. And then he he talks about it more fully in James chapter 3, verse 2 through verse 12. And what he says there is a very interesting statement. He says, if any among you seems to be religious and bridles not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Now, this is a little different category than the first two. Here is a person who believes that they are right who thinks that they are following Jesus. But there are some problems, and the problems are that their influence, and it's shown in his illustration through the speech, it nullifies that. It causes one to be blind in their own perception of themselves. They think themselves to be religious, but they don't bridle their tongue. And so as the result of this, they have deceived themselves. What does that say? I'm okay. I am all right with God. I am a powerful influence for Christ, but their hearts are deceived. And James goes even further. It's an unusable religion. 
Their religion is worthless. James is saying to us that we can undo what it is that we hear and what it is that we believe if we allow ourselves, and the medium that he speaks of here is through speech, to undo our good influence. This is convicting to me. Because I don't know how often you have to do this. Maybe it is that you're not the one that has to handle this. But whenever there's a problem with our phone bill or with uh, uh, some kind of thing that's promised and not delivered or we uh, subscribe to some particular food company and they automatically sent something to us and then, you know, you said, it's not my fault, this is your fault and you have to get with customer service. How do you act? And you said, I'll never meet them. They live in California or in Timbuktu or some other country. But this is maybe your only exposure to them. What do they hear when you speak to them? How do you speak to them? Man, I don't know about you, I'm hungry. My stomach was growling a while ago. I'm ready to go eat in a little while, just a few minutes. We're going to go to the restaurant, many of us, aren't we? And we're going to have somebody who comes up to us. We don't know what kind of day they've been having. And when they come up to our table, will we be shining the light? Or will we be throwing a lot of darkness on them? Hey, I'm I'm a Christian. 30 minutes ago, I was using this to sing to God and pray to God and to preach the sermon. But how am I treating that person who's serving me? What about my employees? What about my neighbors? I think that I'm following Jesus. But I'm undermining that by the way that I speak to the people outside of my assemblies with Christ. It's interesting, isn't it? It can seem so far away and so far into what we're dealing with. But James is showing us of the power of the influence that we wield. And he talks about the tongue. He says it's a deadly poison. It can be devilish. It's destructive. It burns those who hear us use it improperly. But it's also how not to follow Jesus. Number four, how do you follow? Well, let me say this. I, I read this. We're, some of us are going to... Um, Go on that Mediterranean cruise. And so I'm beginning to study and learn about some of the places where we're going to be going. And the place where we're going to be a lot, the beginning and the end of that cruise is in Italy. And in coming across that and, and trying to prepare for it, I read about a new legislation that they're trying to pass. And in that legislation, it, the article's title was that uh, new fine imposed for those who speak English in Italy. That was very bizarre to me. And then, of course, if you read into the article a little bit more and you begin to research this law a little more, you'll find out that they're, they don't hate English. And, and it's not even legislation that's targeting tourists. The idea behind this legislation is, is that public officials who are representing the country to build pride in that and, and to show that, that Italian is an important language. They want their public officials, when they are addressing the public, to speak the language, their native language. And that's exactly what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to speak His language and not the language of the world. And if we struggle in this regard, we'll find ourselves not following Him. But then if we talk about how not to follow Jesus, another way not to follow Jesus is by investing more in this world than in God. Now James is going to talk about this in James chapter 3 verse 13 all the way through chapter 4 and verse 4. And there's two ways... For us to invest in the Lord. And it's by having the wisdom which is from above and by seeking pleasure in being obedient to God. Sibless research tells us that that 49 trillion plus has been 
invested in the stock market in the United States. $49 trillion. And any time we hear that number, the trillion word, it's just impossible for us to wrap our minds around it. A billion seconds ago, 1987. A trillion seconds ago, if it was, if it were, if it existed, 30,000 B.C. Trillion. How much is a trillion? A trillion dollars weighs 2.2 billion pounds. That's more than 600,000 mid-sized sedans. Suffice it to say that there are a lot of people who are investing corporate entities and individuals in this world. But James is saying that all of us are investing, we weight our investments either more for the world or more for God. When it comes to the wisdom factor that he mentions, are we investing more in the world's wisdom? And I say, oh, absolutely not. I don't invest in the world's wisdom and what it's like. It, it's jealous. It's selfishly ambitious. It, it appeals to the flesh. It's disobedient to God and what he's revealed in his word. You know, it's the, it's the world's wisdom that says things like, don't get mad, get even. It's the idea that I'm not arrogant. I'm just better than you. It's the idea that says, sorry, not sorry. You see, worldly wisdom reflects itself in such a way that it's earthly, it's demonic, it's of this earth, it's natural. And what's unnatural for us to express sometimes is the wisdom that's from above. It's first pure, then peaceable, and gentle, and it's reasonable. It's easy to be approached. It's without hypocrisy. We like it when other folks do that, but it's hard for us, it's not natural to show the world's wisdom because we react if we're not careful as the world reacts when it comes to when we're afraid and when we feel stressed and pressured and when there's conflict, do we rely on what the Word says as the foundation of how to handle the situation or do we just act like the world does? The same is true with the world's pleasure. In James 4, 1 through 4, he talks about all the wrestling matches that we have because we find ourselves thinking like the world when it comes to the pursuit of pleasure. He says what it leads to is unwholesome, unfulfilled relationships. It causes you to be distanced from God. And he says it this way, that the friendship of this world is enmity with God. As I think about how I'm investing, how I think and how I do with what I feel... To not follow Jesus, all I've got to do is follow the world's playbook. But here's one I think that strikes a lot of us. I know it's one I wrestle with a lot. How do you not follow Jesus? Tell yourself you have plenty of time. In James chapter 4 and verse 13, James says, Go to now you that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get profit. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we'll do this and do that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such arrogance and boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. You know, the devil doesn't have to convince us of what's right or wrong. You know, he can say, look, I'm going to follow Jesus. You need to follow Jesus. Just don't do it now. Look, there's things that you've got to get taken care of. 
You've got to work on your career. You've got to make some money. You've got to get your ducks in a row. You take the time to make sure that you do that. And once you've got all that put in place, then there'll be plenty of time left to follow Jesus. And it's easy to understand why we would think that way. Because up till now, the Lord has not come back to end it all. And before this day, we have never found ourselves in a situation to where we're not here and living and breathing alive. James is telling us that there's this mindset that says, I, I'm going to, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to follow him, but not now. And what will happen is, is that the devil will help us to fill our calendar with our professional and personal pursuits. And soon that mark keeps getting moved back a little bit further away. Just not now. Tomorrow. Later. But there's at least three problems with this mindset. That first of all, you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. That's what he says there in James chapter 4 in verse 13 and 14. I don't know if any of you saw Kathy's post on Facebook the other morning. It was a very strange morning. I guess some of this was the Canadian fires and it was a hazy overcast day, but we had a lot of fog this week and we went out early on Thursday morning and as we were looking at everything, it was the fog just kind of enveloped everything. And whether you're driving at night or you're seeing that morning fog, doesn't it feel like that fog is going to always be there? It's so thick, it's so impenetrable, it's going to just be there. But it's amazing, and it happened this way on Thursday morning. It seemed like just in an instant, it was gone. That's why James uses this, because we've all experienced it. It's just enveloping, it's all around, and then it disappears. James says that's what life is like. You know, they, you probably do this, I do from time to time, I want to know who is the oldest person alive right now? And the thing is, is it changes all, all the time. Right now it's Maria Marrera. She's an American. Usually it's somebody from France it seems like it, but right now she's the oldest person. She's 116 years old. She replaced a lady from France who died in January who was 118 years old. And at least in modern times, the oldest known human being to die was Jean Calmet in France in 1997. She was 122 and a half when she died. And of course, we can't read their minds, and I don't know that any interviewer ever asked them. And of course, the question that I would want to know, you can't ask on this side of time. And that is, on the day that you died, even at 116, 118, and 122, did you think on that day that you were going to die? I imagine they would say no. James is indicating to us what Solomon would say in Proverbs 27 and verse 1. We don't know what a day will bring forth. How do you not follow Jesus? Say, I'm going to do it tomorrow, or today, but later, today. But another thing is, is that this kind of thinking leaves Christ out of our plans. I make my plans, but what I ought to say is, if the Lord wills, I'm going to do this or that. On my bucket list, and it's not that far from here, is Niagara Falls. I want to go up there and I want to see it. And there's a phenomenon that seems to happen every spring, and that is that the gulls converge on the falls and the river leading up to the, the falls. Because as the ice begins to thaw, there's the dead carcasses of fish that are being carried along. And these gulls will come in scores and, and they'll land on the river and they'll float down. And they'll be picking on the carcasses in the ice of those fish until they get close to the brink and then they'll take off. They'll put out those powerful wings and they'll fly away. But occasionally what will happen is a gull will land 
And it will be feeding on that carcass. And perhaps, I don't know what birds are thinking, they're seeing that brink of the falls and just going to stay a little bit longer and feed for a little bit more. And so sometimes what happens is that they even try to pick up the ice so that they can get that fish since they're running out of river. And the weight of the ice is so much that even though they bring out their powerful wings, for the younger in our audience, you know what happens to them. Things that we can be so consumed with, if we're not being aware of how addictive and how controlling they can be, they can weight us down. They can destroy us because we hold on to them and we can't let them go. What James is saying is, to follow me, you've got to let go of those things that don't include what I say. And then he just gives us the summary conclusion that these things, this idea of just saying, I'm going to do it later, not now, is sin. It's in that context that he says, therefore the one that knows to do good and doesn't do it, it is sin. It's remarkable when you drive into a cemetery, what you'll find is that among the tombstones that are engraved there, there are some that are different than the majority. And those include the date of birth, but no date of death. Maybe some of us in this room have those tombstones. It's usually the spouse or a child of someone else in the cemetery who has a date of birth and a date of death. When we think about our tombstones, whether they're figurative or literal, what's the date of death on your tombstone? I don't know what mine is. I'd like to think that it's some years down the road, but it could be today. James is saying to the one who was putting off discipleship and following Jesus, it could be today. Don't put it off. Follow. Make the changes that are needed to make. But the thing we've got to do also to not follow Jesus is that we have got to find ourselves in a situation where we don't think about the judgment. In James chapter 5, verse 7 through 20, James ends this letter by talking about the judgment. He says that we're to be patient with each other. That we're not to bear grudges against each other. We're to watch our speech because the judge is at the door. The judge is coming lest we be condemned. And then he ends the letter by saying, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he that converts the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. What he is saying is, in order to not follow Jesus, what you've got to do is to not think about the judgment. Don't think about it. The Hebrews writer says there's a terrifying expectation for those who think about the judgment and are not prepared for it. To not follow Jesus, we've got to avoid the truth of what 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20 says. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 says that as we think about the fact that all of us individually are going into the judgment, we're going to be judged based on what we've done, whether good or bad. You know, when we think about split-second decisions that are made, In those decisions, Reader's Digest mentioned five or six stories that have happened in recent times that literally were in the moment, decisions that were made that saved the person involved. One involved a 17-year-old girl who was driving on the freeway in New Jersey, and she was carjacked. And the carjacker had latex gloves, had trash bags and duct tape. You can tell from that that whoever that person was, the abductor, the assailant, did not mean good for her. What do you do in a situation like that where you feel like you don't have the power? Well, she had the steering wheel, so what she did, fortunately, there was a police cruiser. And she crashed her car into the police cruiser. 
And the policeman got out and investigated this particular incident and found out what was going on and arrested the kidnapper. In Colorado, there was a person out hiking. And in the, this can happen a lot on these trails. You run into wildlife. She ran into a mountain lion. And the mountain lion was crouching and getting ready to pounce. And so she figured, what am I going to do? I'm about to get uh, you know, struck, eaten. She began to sing opera at the top of her lungs. And the ears of that mountain lion went down. Must not have been that good of a singer. Began to back away. And she lived to tell the tale. Split second decisions. Not impulsive. But when we reason through. The decision of a second can alter and change one's entire destiny. You see, James doesn't reveal this just so that we can beat ourselves up and say, well, there's no use. I'm falling prey to this. I just, I'm, this is where I'm stuck. I, I hear, but I, I just, I'm having a hard time changing. I, be, I believe it, but I, I don't, I'm having a hard time acting on it. I have a problem with my tongue. I have a problem with my influence in some way. And it's really a struggle for me. It's hard not to invest in this world. It's wisdom and it's pleasures. And, you know, it really feels like i got more time. Surely I do. And I know the judgment's coming, but I don't want to think about it. But see, we can change that. It's a dangerous mindset. It's not going to lead to our good. To follow Jesus means making a decision in our minds. Seeing and seeing. Hearing and hearing. Allowing it to fall into our hearts. Understanding it. And allowing that to create for us a new court. God wants every one of us here to strive. We're going to fall. We're going to stumble. But He wants us working on following Him. The devil wants us to let any one of these things keep us. It's not really a split-second decision. I don't know how many verses Mike has picked out for this song. And it doesn't have to be done during this song. But maybe you need to make a change. If you do, if you realize you're not following him like you know his word tells you to, let's change that. Because he wants us to spend our eternity with him. That means if you've not yet acted on your faith... Repent of your sins and be baptized. If you're a child of God who's allowed the pull of the world to be taking you down, why not come back to Him? If you need to respond, won't you come right now as we stand and sing?